Well, go ahead and turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles and open them up to the book of Psalms. And in particular, this morning, I'd like to draw your attention to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. And what I want to do is to unpack for us this morning a doctrine that comes in one verse. And so we're going to look primarily at that verse. Um, I will begin in verse 1 and read through verse 5. But 5, verse 5, will be our focus this morning. So let's begin. Psalm 71, beginning in verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge... Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. King David is most likely the author of this psalm, and he wrote it when he was an old man. Uh, He has been walking with God now for many, many years. And he's praying, uh, particularly later in this psalm, that God will sustain him in these last days of his life. It sounds, in reading this psalm, as though it was written when David's son Absalom was rebelling against him. And the gist of the psalm is captured in verses 17 and 18. So look at verses 17 and 18 to see the, the, the gist of the psalm. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me, until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. God, you've been with me in the past. I've walked with you since my youth. Old age is here. My death day is near. Preserve me until the end so that I can proclaim your glory to my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren to the next generation. In verse 4, we see that David is praying for God to rescue him from the hand of wicked men, in particular from an unjust and cruel man, perhaps his son Absalom. In verses 5 and 6, we see that David is not calling out on a God that he has known for just a little while, but a God he has known since he was young. David is an example of a man who trusted God, loved God when he was young. He recognizes that even before he was born, he was in God's hands and dependent upon God. It was God who delivered him from his mother's womb. So he says in verse 6, he walked with God from a young age. It was God who cared for him and brought him to this very day. 
Here is why David has confidence as he calls out to the Lord in his old age. He has seen God's faithfulness to him over years as he has walked with the Lord. The Bible presents us with a number of characters who knew God from their youth. David, Samuel, Josiah, Timothy. These were men that were mightily used by God and were remarkable witnesses for God in their generations. In each of them, we see the benefits of having come to faith at an early age. And so here is the doctrine I want to bring before us this morning. Namely, it is a blessed thing to trust Christ in your youth. It is a blessed thing to trust Christ in your youth. Now, while I trust that we can all gain from what I want to bring before us this morning, my focus is particularly on those of you in this room who are young. If you think you're young, consider yourself in that category, okay? If you are in the first half of your life, I want you to take particular, to pay particular attention to this message. Teenagers, I want you particularly listening. Children, I want you particularly listening. Because this morning's message is a call for you to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know where all of you are in your hearts. I don't know how many of you are trusting Jesus and are seeking to follow Him even now while you were young. But this morning I'm speaking directly to the young people in our midst. And here is my message to you. It is a blessed thing. It is a good thing to trust Christ in your youth. David and Timothy and Josiah and Samuel do not get your attention. Think about the Lord Jesus himself. Think about how Jesus trusted his father and walked with God even when he was young. And I want you to do the same thing. There are many in this room who came to Christ later in their lives They would do almost anything to to be in your shoes and to have the opportunity to have trusted Christ at an earlier time. And so this morning what I want to do is unpack this truth. It is a blessed thing to trust Christ in your youth. I want to unpack it with a sort of top ten list of biblical reasons why it is good and wise and blessed to trust Christ young. So let's jump in. Here they are. Number one, trust Christ now because Christ is calling you now. He wants you now. Jesus has not waited until you are 40 years old or 50 years old or 60 years old to call you to salvation. If you are here this morning hearing this message, then on this day, Jesus is calling you to believe on Him. He's calling on you now through this very message. Many of you in this room have been coming to church here for years. 
You've heard the gospel preached over and over and over again. Each and every time, it is Christ who is blessing you. There are billions of people on this earth who have not heard the gospel as you have. But in God's providence, you have heard it. Jesus has brought this invitation to be His and to follow Him to you. And He's bringing it to you now while you are young. Imagine a young man coming to a young lady wanting her to be his wife. And he says, I've made every arrangement for you to be mine. My desire is to lead you and to guide you, to protect you and provide for you, to cherish you and to nurture you. I love you deeply. Take me by the hand. Follow me. Be mine. Imagine that young lady looking at that young man and saying, Yes, I will be yours, but let me wait a few decades. Let me chase after other things first. Let me spend these younger years of my life pursuing things of this world. I'm glad you love me. I'm glad you want me to be yours, but I prefer to do my own thing now. Come back when I'm 40. Come back when I'm 50. Come back when I'm 60, then I will be yours. What would we think of such a response? And is that how you may be responding to Christ? Yes, I intend to follow Christ one day. One day. But young people, he's calling you now. And he wants you now. Second, this issue is the most important issue you will ever encounter in your life. In life, there are two roads that are set before you. There is the road of trusting Christ and following Christ, which leads to eternal life. And there is also the road of following your own heart, of doing what you desire, which leads to eternal death. The most important issue you will ever face in your life is this one, deciding which road you will take to follow Christ or to follow your sinful heart. And don't think for a moment that you can say, I'm going to wait till I'm older to decide. You're already deciding. Every moment of every day, you're choosing to either follow Christ or not. If you're not following Christ now, you're already walking down the path that leads to hell. And it is sheer grace that Christ has given you an opportunity to turn from your sins and to turn back to the path that you have forsaken, the straight path, the narrow path, the path of walking with Him. It is unwise to put off something that is so important. How many people die every year because they have a pain in their chest or some other ailment in their body and they refuse to deal with it. They don't want to go to the doctor. 
They don't want to be poked and probed and have that uncomfortable experience. And so the cancer goes unfound. The heart disease goes unchecked and they die. Well, how many more are there who know deep down that there is something wrong with their soul? Who know deep down that they are not in right standing with God, but they refuse to deal with the issue. They would rather ignore it and keep their minds focused on less important passing things than deal with this crucial matter. The great physician of your soul is calling you. He has a diagnosis for your problem. It's called sin. He has a prognosis of what will happen if you leave it unchecked. Namely, God's righteous wrath will come upon you. But he also has a prescription. It's called applying the blood of Jesus to your sin. All Christ calls you to do is to see your own inability, to see your own wickedness, to see your own need of Him, and to turn to Him, to follow Him. And His blood will be applied to you. Don't neglect the great physician of your soul and say, let me wait till I'm older. The cancer will have only grown and it will be harder to deal with. Number three, it is important to trust Christ when you are young because heaven and hell are realities. This isn't a game that we're playing. Heaven's a reality. Hell is a reality. Almost everybody in America believes in heaven. And almost nobody in America believes in hell. Don't you find that interesting? And what does that tell us about the human race? Some assume that God's warnings about casting people into hell are an empty threat. They cannot imagine a day in which humanity will stand before God's throne. They cannot imagine a day of global catastrophe in which the whole world is consumed in fire. They can't get their minds around a place called hell. These people are materialists at heart. They, they only believe what they can see. They only believe in what they have known all their lives. The idea that, that this world as they know it could forever change, that history could end, that heaven and hell exist, it's beyond their ability to imagine. which I ask this question. Is it safe or wise or reasonable to presume that because I can't imagine a day of final judgment or because I can't imagine a place called hell, therefore it must not be true? Does that sound logic? Is that reasonable? Is that wise? What kind of arrogance says that the course of this world must be determined by what my finite, puny human mind can fathom? 
Has God not given us shadows of the things to come? Do we not have the account of Sodom and Gomorrah? Do we not see entire cities swept away by hurricanes and tsunamis? Can we not look at the ancient city of Pompeii and how Mount Vesuvius erupted so quickly that we have the fossilized remains of people who were overcome by the fast-flowing rivers of lava as they were trying to flee? Is that not a picture of something that God might be trying to tell us? Can we not look into the white-hot blaze of our own sun and see a picture of the pure and righteous wrath of God that will consume this world in fire? Have you ever had a nightmare from which you were only rescued by waking up? And could that not be telling you that there is such a thing as a nightmare from which people don't wake up? These are not games we're playing. And I hope you're listening. Others assume that the threat of God's eternal wrath is laughable because it doesn't fit their own estimation of what sin deserves. Nobody claims to be perfect. Everybody admits that they've sinned, that they've messed up from time to time, but most people hold a very low view of sin. They can't imagine that just one of their sins is enough to warrant an eternal hell. That kind of justice seems ridiculous to them, to which I respond as we did earlier. Are you sure that your estimation of what your sin deserves is a better estimation than what God has revealed? Are you so confident that though God made the laws that govern us, and that though His laws are infinitely perfect, and that though God is infinitely worthy of our obedience, are you sure that your estimation of what your sin deserves is more accurate than what God has revealed in the Scriptures? Or to put it another way, do you trust yourself or God? Which gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Number four, we'll go a little quicker. Number four, your future is not guaranteed. Trust Christ while you are young because your future is not guaranteed. There's no guarantee that you will be alive this evening. There's no guarantee that you will be alive tomorrow. And Christ is calling you now. Let's try another picture. Imagine that you are locked in an empty room and you cannot get out. Slowly, little by little, the temperature is increasing. And each and every moment that you stay in that room, it gets hotter and hotter. And if you stay in that room, you will surely die. There is a voice on the other side of the door, and it is the voice of Christ. Dear sinner, I've unlocked the door. Come out to me and be saved. Follow me. Come to me. Why in the world would you say, let me wait a while? 
Let me stay in here a while. Let me risk it a while longer. When I'm ready, I'll come to you. What if you wait too long? Young people, are you waiting to come to Christ? And if you're waiting, why are you waiting? You know the, the illustration of the frog in the pot, right? Put a frog in boiling water, he'll, he'll jump right out. But put the frog in cool water and slowly increase the heat and he'll stay there till he dies. In the same way, the Gospel of John says that all people who are not trusting Christ are under condemnation. This moment, dear unbeliever, you are under the wrath of God. And every moment that you stay outside of Christ, every moment that you remain in your room of blindness and darkness, you come a step closer to that wrath being unleashed upon you in hell. Why would you say, let me wait and remain separated from Christ? What is the wisdom there? Don't presume on the mercies of God. God is like the lion Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. He is good, but He is not tame. He is a God of love, but He is also a God of righteousness. And at some point, the cup of your sins will reach the brim and God's patience will end. Hell will come. And as we say all the time, it's not because God is wicked. It's because God is good and we are wicked. Number five, refusing to trust Christ when you are young makes it harder to trust Him when you are older. Every day you live apart from Jesus, refusing to follow Jesus, you are living in sin and you're sinning all the time. You're doing what you prefer rather than what Christ would have you do. You're living with faith in yourself rather than faith in Jesus. And every moment you live this way, your sin is having a hardening effect on your life. Have you ever noticed this about sin? That it hardens your heart. Which is why the first time you sin in a certain way, it may be difficult. But the second time, it's a little bit easier. Your conscience is not as tender. Suddenly you're doing sins that used to would have made you blush, and you're not blushing anymore. You don't even care. The longer you walk in sin, the harder it is to be brought to repentance. Every day of unbelief is another day that leads you further away from Christ. Young people, surely you've seen it's just a reality in this world that old people, especially those who do not know the grace of Jesus Christ, tend to become stubborn as they get older. We say they are set in their ways. It's because a human soul is like slowly drying cement. If you continue rejecting Christ, eventually your heart will harden into full-blown rejection of Jesus. You will be too stubborn to ever come to Him. Today you are in church. 
Keep the path of rejecting Jesus and there will probably come a day when you won't step foot in a church again. You won't hear gospel messages. You'll be so indulged in the trivial things of this world, you will spend your Sundays elsewhere in some kind of worldliness. Preachers will still be preaching the gospel, but you won't be there to hear it. My grandparents have a dear friend who lives, I'll just say close by. We could walk there. This is a man who grew up in church up near where my grandparents live. He rejected Christ and continued rejecting Christ until he became a full-blown atheist. And now despite their entreaties, though he lives less than a half mile from our church, he will not step foot in this church building. That's what happens to human hearts that continue to reject Christ. Repentance later is made so much more difficult. Young people, is that you in 50 years? Is that the path you're taking? Number six, trust Christ while you are young. Trust Christ while you are young, and Christ will keep you from so many sins and from so many painful consequences. I mentioned earlier there are many in this room who wish they had followed Jesus when they are younger. Here is a large reason why. When we follow Jesus, when we pay attention to his word, when we submit our hearts to what he says, he leads us well. He's not a shabby shepherd. He's not incompetent. He's a good shepherd. He knows where he's leading us. Choosing to go another way will lead to painful consequences. Do you think that if you just say whatever comes to your mind, whatever you want to say, there's not going to be consequences of that? Following your heart will hurt people. Do you think you can indulge in the stuff of this world, just indulge with no discernment, worldly music and worldly media and worldly everything, and there will be no consequences to that? If you pollute your mind and your heart, what's going to come out of you? Our hearts are polluted enough. We don't need to add any more. Do you think you can hang around whoever you want to hang around and there won't be consequences for that? It won't affect you? Sexual immorality, drunkenness, a vulgar mouth, a hateful, bitter attitude, a heart full of idols, pride and self-centeredness, these things will kill you. They are landmines that will destroy you. And if you refuse to trust Christ, you will ultimately give yourself to some of these things. It's not a question of if. It's a question of when. By God's grace, there were some in this room who did come to know Jesus while they were young. And though they had their share of sins... Thankfully, Jesus spared them from many of the worst. 
because they were praying while they were young, reading their Bibles while they were young, learning truth while they were young. They didn't indulge in some of the things that their friends were indulging in. Jesus had won their hearts. They refused to participate in certain sins. Their minds and hearts were occupied with greater, sweeter things. God spared them the consequences that their friends experienced. Young people, you can be spared from so much misery if you will just trust Christ now. Follow Him while you are young, like David did. Number seven. You can be of great use to Christ while you are young. You can be of great use to Christ while you are young. Think of David. Think of Goliath. You can be of great use to Christ. We live in a culture that more or less cultivates immaturity. The television shows for young people, the music that young people listen to, the overall culture of adolescence is pervaded by immaturity. Young people wasting their lives on who likes who and what's cool and what's not. Everyone wants to be unique, and yet they want to fit in. They want to be different, but they want to be in a clique. And it's just this adolescent world that just wastes your life away. And yet not everyone lives that way. There are some rare young people who have found all that they need in Christ. And while their peers waste those years away in teenage foolishness, They choose to live radically for Christ. What does it mean to be radical for Christ? It means to be a sober-minded teenager. A responsible teenager, for example. I learned something back in the days when I was working with youth mainly. I learned that even middle school students could handle some of the deepest truths of Scripture. I witnessed for myself what it looked like when 6th, 7th, and 8th graders got a glimpse of the glory of God and began to care about more important things. I saw students who were hungry for the Bible, students who were praying for their parents to see things in Scripture that their parents had not yet seen, but these students had. Students who wanted to stay up all night at lock-ins, not playing games, but sitting in huddles talking about eschatology and soteriology and the doctrines of the Bible because it mattered to them. Young people, you could be of great use to Christ right now. Don't buy the lies of our culture. Our culture belittles you. Our culture puts you down. When parents tell other parents they have have teenagers in the home, we're expected to pity them. It's just a common thing. Oh, you have teenagers. Oh, I'm sorry. That's how the culture treats you, young people. We're supposed to assume that every teenager must be rebellious, must have this teenage angst that, that must be expressed. There's no such thing as young people who have respect for authority. There's no such thing as young people who care about important things. No, they're all prone to 
all kinds of sins. They're engrossed in media and worldliness. They're not capable of thinking about important things. Everyone knows teenagers cannot be trusted. They can't, be hand, can't handle responsibility. Teenagers in wisdom, incompatible. Teenagers in submission, incompatible. Teenagers in purity, incompatible. Teenagers in seriousness, incompatible. Teenagers in responsibility, incompatible. Teenagers in faithfulness, incompatible. That's the message of our culture. Are you buying it? And does not the Scripture say you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength? We've talked about these things before. I'll just remind them of you quickly. Remind you of them quickly. George Washington mastered geometry, trigonometry, and was surveying by age 16. Fellow peers considered him not to be a very smart young man, but by age 17, he was the official surveyor for Culpeper County, Virginia. Uh, traveling through unsettled territory as a frontiersman, measuring, recording unmapped territories. He, his tools for measuring were these heavy logs and chains. He was doing a man's job at 17, and he was considered a man. At age 22, Lieutenant Colonel, age 23, Commander-in-Chief of the entire Virginia militia. David Farragut, 10 years old, when he began serving as a naval cadet, age 11, was in his first battle, age 12, had command of the ship. Clara Barton, founder of the American Red Cross, Began training as a nurse at age 11, became a nurse at age 14. Benjamin Franklin, no Christian there. Apprenticing at his older brother's printing press at age 12, writing editorials for the paper at age 15. Louis Braille, who was blind, invented the Braille system of reading, age 12 when he did that. Mozart, composing at age 7. Andrew Jackson, fighting for America's independence at age 14. Davy Crockett exploring the frontier at age 12. We could go on and on and on. John Newton sailing slave ships with his father at age 11, a profession he would later repent of. John Owen, one of my heroes, graduated college at 16, earned his master's degree at age 19, and was not uncommon in his day. That was not the unusual thing, that was norm for many. At age six, Henry Alford wrote a small book called The Travels of St. Paul. At age eight, had written a collection of Latin odes not long after turning nine, finished his compilation of a history of the Jews. At age 10, produced his first series of sermons, Looking Unto Christ. So the youth of the past, at least some, we're fighting battles and writing books and making music and coming up with inventions and exploring the frontier. Many held important jobs in society. Most were treated as adults as soon as they could be treated as adults. Those of us who are adults in this room, compared to these things I've mentioned, you might be thinking, oh, our younger men and women are so immature today. But it's not mainly their fault. We're the ones who say, you can do anything if you put your mind to it, and then we gasp when they make the bed. If 
Friedrich Heer, historian, writes about what life was like around the year 1800. Around 1800, young people of both sexes could reckon on being considered adults as soon as the outward signs of puberty made their appearance. Girls attained marriageable age at 15. Boys could join the Prussian army as officer cadets at the age of 15. Among the upper classes, entry to the university or to a profession began at age 15 or 16. Why do so few teenagers today even want to rise above the rest and become mature, responsible, faithful young adults? I think it's mainly because they long to fit in. They are looking for love and security and happiness in their hearts, and they find it in being like their friends. But this is not true for the teenager who comes to Christ. When a young person comes to Christ, Christ saves their soul. Christ forgives their sins. Christ brings them to God. All of the security they used to have to get from their friends, all of the, 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 I need somebody to like me, that they used to pursue with all their might, they find in Christ. And with a heart that is secure in Christ, they can devote their lives to better things, to bigger things, to more fulfilling things. I'm running out of time. Last, last three, I'll just mention them quickly. Trust Christ while you are young because you can lay a great foundation today for future usefulness. In other words, not only can you be useful now, but you can be useful in the future. And if you know you're following Christ now, you can begin doing things that will help you be more useful to him in the future. So you can begin learning doctrine now, memorizing scripture now, hiding God's word now, learning how to witness now, learning how to take responsibility now, so that you will be at even, well, what did Christ say? To those who are faithful over little, I will give you much. Begin now being faithful over little for Christ's sake. And you're laying a foundation for a great, great thing ahead in your life. Number nine. Trust Christ while you are young because you can have a greater reward in heaven. Christians are commanded to store up treasures in heaven. And we store up treasures in heaven by living for eternal things. We do this by, by giving ourselves to loving others and serving God and obeying Christ. Start young and you can lay up a greater reward. Don't waste your youth on things that are passing. Set your mind on things above. Finally, number 10, trust Christ while you are young because it is a great thing to die having walked with God for a lifetime. It is a sweet thing to die knowing that the God you are about to meet is no stranger but a friend you have known from your youth. David, in his old age, had an intimate relationship with God that had been developed over his whole life. Here is one friend who had been with him through everything. Here was a companion for his entire life. And now as he was nearing old age, as he's about to die, he's not calling out on a stranger for help. He's calling out on one that he's known for decades. Christ will never leave his people nor forsake them. Why would we not go to Christ now? Walk with Christ now. Talk to Christ now. Learn from Christ now. Have Christ as our Savior and Lord and companion now. Let me close this way. Young people, here are ten reasons 
10 reasons that I've given you why you should imitate David's example and trust Christ while you are young. Hear each one of them. Let them resound in your heart. And by grace, trust Christ today. Resolve to trust Christ, to follow Him today. And then all the days of your life. Trust Christ now because it is a great thing to die having walked with God for a lifetime. Trust Christ now because you can have a greater reward in heaven. Trust Christ now because you can lay a foundation for future usefulness. Trust Christ now because you can be useful to Christ now. Trust Christ now because He will keep you from so many sins and their painful consequences. Trust Christ now because refusing to do so will make it harder to trust Him in the future. Trust Christ now because a future opportunity is not guaranteed. Trust Christ now because heaven and hell are realities. Trust Christ now because this is the most important issue you will ever encounter and it is unwise to put it off. Trust Christ now because He's calling you to Himself now, even through this message. And I pray that even as the external call is going out, may Christ cause that inward call to go forth this moment. Let's pray.